On this edition of Whosology, we first welcome part owner of Courts of the World, Ryan O'Leary. Ryan discusses when he first fell in love with the game of basketball and how that led him to get involved with the Courts of the World website. He talks about how the site is a database for basketball courts all over the world. We also get his insight on his love for the Golden State Warriors, how the pandemic has affected basketball participation, Courts of the World's new partnership with FIBA, and more. Then Matt and Justin discuss the Basketball Hall of Fame's finalists, the Miles Leonard controversy, and Georgetown's men's basketball coach Patrick Ewing's interesting week at the Big East Tournament, and we have match trending topics and teams. And now, Ryan O'Leary. He is the part owner and chief marketing officer of Courts of the World. We now welcome Ryan O'Leary onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Ryan? Hey, Justin. How you doing? Good. Um, this is an interview I've been looking forward to conducting with you, Ryan, just because um, your site deals with basketball courts all over the world. But before we hop into the, the website, I want to just ask you, when did you first fell in love with the game of basketball? Yeah, uh, it's funny, Justin. I think I'm a, a late bloomer to really falling in, in love with basketball uh, okay. growing up as a kid. And I I, I'm older than you are, um, so I used to have like Chris Mullen, you know, uh, games uh, for the Warriors in my house when I, I was a kid. Uh, so I grew up a uh, 45-minute drive from the Oakland Coliseum, and my dad's a big sports fan. And anytime the Warriors were on, uh, had the games on. And as a kid, you know, eight or nine, made it to my first Warriors game. Um so I've, I've kind of had a, a natural connection just based on where, where I grew up. Um, but I, I had, didn't really like, get into basketball super, super hardcore until I moved to San Francisco in 2003. Uh, I mean, I've always watched a million basketball games, but I decided to get uh, – you have these mini-season ticket passes uh, for the Warriors. And in 2003, you get like, – 30 bucks a game and you were in the lower bowl if you bought 12 12 games. So, uh, uh, so I started going to a ton of games. And at that time, uh, the business that I was doing, you could always get um, vendors would always throw you tickets to Warriors games. Uh, They'd have season tickets and they'd give you, you know, here's the 15. You can see Minnesota twice. You can see Milwaukee twice. You know, they just give you games back then. Because uh, they had season tickets and they didn't want to go to, you know, 25 of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I ended up seeing, I don't know, 20 games a, a season. Um, so it was perfect timing then, you know, when they started getting Baron Davis and sure. Mick Van Exel and yeah, uh, Tom Levy. And, you know, we had our characters coming through, but really the We Believe, uh, me and my wife started going to, you know, even more and more games. Um, so I just started obsessively uh, going to Warriors games when they were making their way up, I guess, the, the first time. Um, I went to all the playoff games, saw the famous Baron Davis dunk in Utah. Mm-hmm. And um, so out of that, I, I mean, I've watched every single Warriors game, you know, for the last I don't know, 20 years. <laughs> or so even even today i watch every single game every second sure so um, um and then just the last thing in my yeah my son started playing uh basketball five years ago and as soon as he started playing i was never a big player uh but as soon as he started playing he started 
obsessively playing. Uh, you know, he wanted to get up shots every day and it just came back from practice. So um, I think through watching him and now his little brother plays, we're a big basketball family. Well, I have to ask you real quick, what do you think of just the, the Warriors traditionally, historically, um, you know, I, I would say haven't been like a, a power within the NBA, but within the last decade or so, they've risen to probably be the most popular team in the NBA. So how, how do you feel about that um, for just being a longtime Warriors fan to, you know, besides this year, for the most part, the Warriors are the talk of the league. Um, what do you, what, how do you feel about them winning the championships and just about Steph Curry? How, what's your feelings about this era of Warriors basketball? Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of like when your favorite local band goes big, you know, and then you like them and you're like, oh, and when they go big, it kind of feels like it's everybody's. Uh-huh. Uh, but it was uh, it was amazing. I mean, we, uh, you know, when they won the the championship with Steph in like, 2015, um, just the lead up to that was totally insane. Like going to games, it was like a rock you know, concert. And I remember me and, uh, me and my wife, we, we happen to be, I live in uh, Sweden now. Um, I used to live in San Francisco. I grew up in California, but, uh, we happened to be back, uh, when the Warriors were in the playoffs and we, we bought games for, or we bought tickets for game five, uh, when they first won their championship against, uh, uh, Cleveland. And that was like, I mean, one of the best, like sports experiences uh, I bet. of, of uh, you know, of my life. I know my, my wife's life. So um, it, it was great to see, you know, just being the underdogs the whole time. You just are, are rooting and the fans there. Uh, I mean, even in 2003 or, you know, 1983, the fans there are just so into the Warriors. Um, so it's not a, you know, it, it was a very, I think, different crowd up to that point. You know, the people had the same seats. If you had your same tickets, it was the same families. And I think that the diversity of the fans there was really, you know, something special in Oakland. It's, you know, um, it's just the ethnicities and the diversity and everything. It was a really, a real special, uh, a real special environment. And that changed a bit when, you know, it cost you $200 to get in the lower bowl in a I single see, seat. Yeah. Uh, in the back. Um, so I feel like part of that is, you know, I, I kind of miss part of that. I haven't been to, to Chase uh, yet, but it, it definitely changed a lot of the the dynamics and I think pricing some families out of, uh, you know, to take a family of four to a game, you know, that's a, that's a grand. Uh, so it's not, it, it kind of hurts that it just can't be, you go to the game for fun and you get a ticket, you know, at, at the door and walk in. Um, but it's great, great to see. And uh, uh, I, I think it's just been magical what Steph's been doing, what he continues to do. Yeah, it's it's a bummer that I think what you're talking about with just the prices being so expensive, um, I think it's a league-wide problem that you're kind of pricing out just the, the fans that want to go to see a game on this, a night. But you, see, you have to plan for it. And, you know, you only get to see one game. And who knows if that player is even playing because they're getting wrecked. Yeah. Uh, low management so it, it, uh, hopefully that's somewhat resolved you know when the pandemic is over we'll have to see but um to your point um you know you focus on the pro game 
So let's talk about the creation of your, of your website because that's very much just like the average Joe, um, just that the yeah. hobbyist that's playing basketball on the weekend or just some spare time. So so how did you create this website? Walk this, our listeners and viewers through just the creation of Courts of the World. Yeah, so I, I've i been a part of Courts of the World for three years now. So I'm like the last one in. Okay. The Courts of the World history goes back to 2007. Oh, wow. So um, we're uh, founded by uh, Klaus is his name. Uh, he uh, is an avid streetball player from Germany. Uh, and what he used to do is on once he got a, a real job and started doing business trips, uh, he would always take his basketball. And he would just be looking for courts to play. And usually in, in countries that where English was spoken, or if he went to Spain, he could communicate enough to, you know, talk to locals and get pointed in the right direction, at least find some court and some place uh, to play. But the, really the, the location he went to for a business trip that kind of sparked that something really needed to be done is when he went to China and no one could speak English and he was on a business trip with his basketball. Um, and it's just like, there's no one to ask. There's no way to really communicate, you know, to the average taxi driver, like where can I find a court? Um, so from that trip, he's like, we gotta, we gotta build something uh, that could be a directory. So his idea, and this was 2007, uh, I mean, not so tech savvy, he's like, let's create an Excel spreadsheet that we could post for each, okay. each city. And he brought it back to one of his uh, best friends Stefan, uh, that's still with the site and does uh, all the technology behind the scenes. And he's like, well, we can create a website to do this. We don't need to post spreadsheets. Um, so between uh, Klaus's uh, original idea and being a street baller and Klaus's brother was a, a designer, he did the logo, um, they put up the first website. And the real cool thing about Course of the World and even today is that it's um, like we didn't go in and type all these courts. It's probably 90% users added Oh wow! Uh, courts. So it's really, a, I mean, I consider it just more of a platform for like basketball players to, you know, really contribute on where they're playing, what courts are good. And that's one of the visions uh, originally and something we're really trying to push on uh, I mean, we have like 36,000 courts. If you look at our map and zoom out uh, and, and look at uh, courts everywhere, and I think that's fine uh, to have that many, but uh, what we're really trying to answer is like, where are the best courts? Like, how can we help a player uh, like Justin? You're in New Mexico? New Mexico, correct. That must be hot playing outside. Yeah, <laughs> scorching, dry heat. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was just looking in Albuquerque and I think we have like 40, you know, outdoor courts there. So if you are, you know, you, especially like if you just move there and you're like, where can we play? Uh, what's the more popular courts? What have been rated high? Where can I find pickup games? Like that's what we're really trying to help uh, the average player find, um, especially if they're looking uh, to interact with other players or Lots of times I get messages like I have one night in London, like give me a court, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what we're really trying to help uh, the visitors to the website uh, find is kind of wherever they're going or wherever they're at. 
um, you know, where can they find a, a place to play? And the reason why we focus on outdoor first is because outdoor is free. You know, you don't need a key. Most of the time you don't have to pay money. Um, so that's really where the explosion of the court uh, additions uh, have, have been. What makes a great um, court to play on? Um, I, I read one of your articles on your website. It was covering just the Brooklyn courts. Um, they're just going over, you know, it may not, a, a court um, shouldn't have cracks in it, um, shouldn't have weeds <laughs> sprouting out of it, um, should be kind of uh, full of other um, kind of skill levels. Um, so I guess what makes a great court? Is it in terms of having elite players, a wide range of players spanning different ages, um, just how popular it is, or in terms of, because I know it's hard, like with depending on which court you go to, like you, I think I saw a breakdown like the Los Angeles courts, you know, those are infamous for like really talented players. So, yeah. you know, like myself, who's I'm pretty mediocre at best, but, you know, you know, want to get some, some time in, I mean, I'll probably never get a chance to play in one of those yeah, yeah. due to my skill levels. So I guess what, what makes the best court for just from a novice to somebody who was like a semi pro or just like a, like a YMCA gym warrior type of speed. Yeah. And it's fine. So we have on our site, uh, we have a rating. You can give a one to five rating. And so far they've just been stars, you know, there, so you can kind of pick, like, oh, it's a great court. I give it a, a five star. And I, um, me and my, my oldest son, he's 14 and we, uh, and he helped really push me in this direction. I wanted to be involved in a website like this. Uh, you know, we've found courts like in five countries. And when we went to the Philippines every morning, we'd go out and find the local court. And every time it's like, how do you rate this court, dad? One to five. And I'd be like, you know, well, this is a four, it's a perfect court, you know, it's flat, it's got the three-point lines, it's got NBA height, it's got nets, you know, it's a perfect court. It's like, well, why don't you give this a five? And I'm like, well, you need, you need people around to make it a five. You know, if you go to the perfect court every day, but you can never play or meet anyone, uh, you know, from the neighborhood and there's never any runs there, like, yeah. um, it, it kind of takes everything to make it a, a perfect court. And I think having people that to play with and have that environment, um, you know, where there's games going on. Uh, in addition to all the obvious of having the, you know, the, the perfect cord and the rim that's straight and NBA height, not tilted and nets. Um, I think it's really people. And that's what most of the time when someone's spending, a, you know, uh, you know, they have a layover in Atlanta and want to find a court, they want to play with locals. You know, they want to they want to run a game. So I think that's, you know, the rating system, I think, towards the higher end just requires um, you to get in a game at, at your level and, and meet new people. Um, so that's how I, I push it on the higher scale. So sure. I'm really picky about for me giving a, a five star. Uh, I mean, they just built and I just had this debate, really, they just built this really perfect court in northern Stockholm and it has like the plastic tile oh, so wow. it's even like you know it's 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 perfect and the, the rims are perfect and I give bonus points like if it's near like a store that you could just go to and get drinks you know oh, it's like cool. easy to locate but then it's like no one ever plays there so it's like oh man you know, that's kind of the missing element um but I'd still score that you know very high um I 
I spoke to um, the head of three on three in Estonia uh, recently, and he has developed a one to five rating and his number one rating that I was just talking to him about and we're debating whether we should do this was like, could you run like an official outdoor game, like a five on five game? So that means like even if though they have three pointers, it's a real three point line and then there's room past there to shoot. Um, so his interpretation was a little bit uh, different what he wanted to do, but um, I think we're looking at some other rating like that that really rates the court kind of independent of the experience. Um, that, uh, yeah, if you want to do an official three-on-three pickup game, you could run it there because, yeah, the lines are right and the court, uh, the hoop height is perfect. And uh, some of the extras like the backboard is see-through. Sure. You know, it, it kind of has like that level to it um, that makes it work. What has been the coolest court that you visited? Um, I had the chance to go to Mexico uh, back in college and just seeing a, court, a basketball court in the local community um, was playing outside with just like the mountains was just like create this ambiance that was so different than, you know, just playing basketball in, in America. We had a um, former uh, college player that was on the trip with us, J.R. Giddens, who uh, played in the NBA and played internationally and played for the University of New Mexico. And it was just like a unique experience just playing just not on American soil. So what was kind of the, the coolest court you visited? You mentioned some of them earlier. Um, are there any characteristics that you see um, internationally that you just don't see in America um, when you step on an international court? Yeah, gosh, that's court. You know, I um, so when we were in Wellington, New Zealand, we had the best pickup game on the beach uh, with a local. Um, so part of it's kind of the the experience. Um, gosh, best court. That's it's really when I, I think to the best courts, uh, it's really come down to the pickup games and the people that we've we've met there. But there was a court that I hadn't uh, ever been to. Even as a kid, I always went to this uh, beach in California, in Stinson Beach, and they had this little court in the back uh, next to an ice cream shop. And oh. we started playing with my son, and then a college player showed up with his friend that didn't play basketball that well, and we ran a two-on-two. And then my kids were there, and they met like another eight and ten-year-old, and they ran twos against each other. Um, so, uh, you know, that was a, a great court just in the, you know, local park there. Um, so those gosh, might be my two best pickup in, uh, at, at courts. There's some nice ones in, uh, Stockholm uh, that we play at, uh, yeah, and one's just downtown uh, at a school, but there's lots of, uh, it's kind of in the middle of a center. So it just gets lots of traffic from like people out of town there. And every time we go there, we meet someone from America. We meet someone from Spain shooting. Um, so it's usually these pickup, you know, court uh, environments. Uh, I think in Europe, lots of times you see these really heavy duty uh, basketball rims that you don't see in the U.S. Like, hmm. like, you know, well, they, I guess they do double rims in the U.S., but they kind of build them so that they make them through the winter. Oh, you know, wow. Huh. Really like thick, you know, rims that aren't friendly for shooting. 
Um, and they have a lot of weird like backboards that are just metal. Uh, maybe they have some of those in New York uh, I've seen. Yeah. Um, but they got kind of weird stuff that I think schools put up uh, maybe to fit their budgets. So this, this hoop's not coming down in the next you know 20 years. It's, it's built to last. What do you think of the private basketball courts? I don't know if you've seen them, but they're sponsored by like Adidas or Nike. Usually you see them in the summer where it's like an undisclosed facility. And it's just like, I think I've seen them pop up just on social media where usually you'll see, you know, LeBron or it's usually a lot of the guys under the same representation um, playing at these courts that are like stay the art. Um, is that kind of like too fancy in terms of it's kind of for just – people that have privilege that's able to um, play at those courts or what, what do you think of that? Cause it just, they, they look, they look cool in terms of like the technology at the same time, it's kind of missing that soul, something like a Rucker park or um, lots of other legendary courts that still NBA players do participate in. I don't think exclusively they just play at these private courts, but I just see them popping up these private facilities that, you know, public, I just, you know, the, the average person's not able to find or go to. Yeah. And those, those aren't usually things we, try to map or our, our players map. Um, but uh, yeah, usually we focus on public. The one thing we are going to move into um, and we're going to start focusing on it in a, a couple of weeks is more indoor courts. Uh, like I said, we have like 36,000 or so courts and I think like 35,000 of them are outdoor and public for the most part. Um, so it's something we're going to start um, asking our community to add more. Um, and I, yeah, I think there's something, I don't know, sometimes it's almost better like not to know that there's like this perfect court next to you that you can't get into. Sure. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, so that's not really an area where we focus. And there's some gyms where I'm from near San Francisco that, you know, are kind of locked key that you need to have a private coach to go in there and get shots up. Um so I, I think we're looking to get those on our map and just note them as being private and linking to their website. So if you want to find out some more information about them, you, you can. Um, and can you go over just like professional players being involved in um, creating basketball courts in their communities? Um, I think you recently did an article on um, heat guard Gordon Drashik um, um, from Slovenia, I believe, and him um, just creating courts within his community. And also not only these are not just average courts. I mean, they have a lot of artistic um, merit to them. They have a personality of their own. So you just go to, can you just describe the relationship of kind of these professional players? Because I think a lot of fans just think, you know, they, they play at this, the, the best schools or just have, you know, the best training. But, you know, basketball is a game where you can just go really anywhere and just find a park and play. So can you just kind of describe just kind of that relationship with professional players just all over the world? Um, and now we've seen a trend with them creating their own courts within their own communities. Yeah, and I think it's a, a great thing. I think the one thing, and uh, I listen to your podcast with the AAU coach also. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that was really interesting talking about, like, the business of basketball and my son's competitive and you hear about like the AAU path. And I think, and all that's indoor. And I, I think that, I don't know, maybe one of the themes and I've read some articles about it, is just outdoor courts and public courts are getting less use. Um, so I think a lot of these initiatives um, and like Manu just, just put up one and uh, yeah, a lot of pro players are trying to build, their own courts or at least 
lending their image to courts uh, to get people to to play at. And um, yeah, a lot of these, there's a lot of organizations that are doing good things locally on doing more of the murals um, on courts to make them more favorable and more interesting to, to play on. And yeah, I'm hoping to work with more of these, uh, these organizations um, to get more attention to them. And I think the one thing that can help and I can almost see from like nicer courts here in my community. It's like nicer courts or courts with some flair to them with upgrades, like kids use them more. Um, so I, I, I think kind of the background, I think that these organizations need to kind of come with to help them is not just like the feel good story, but having some like quantitative metrics that they could go back to their local community and saying, we're getting 20% more kids to play on these courts because of these upgrades. like the community benefits of that and the financial benefits of having kids that are more active compared to um, not as active are, um, uh, I think, are really important. So I think these measures that players are making, and they're not focused on getting um, like the Goron one that um, you're referencing. His mission uh, was not to like get the next pro player from his local community. He just wanted families to be active and outside in a positive environment. Um, so, um, so I, I think it's a it's a, a nice change that's going on, and and kind of a way to um, I think kind of renew interest in public courts. Um, and the other one of the other studies that I saw, and it seems to be a trend, is in new parks instead of building like one uh, full length court uh, is kind of building two half courts that aren't facing each other for three okay. on three games so that like a group of eight can't just dominate sure. a whole court and the family can't shoot on the other one or another kid at a different level. Um, so maybe that's a trend that I, I see happening more. I haven't seen any studies to back it up, but I think that's something that could help increase participation and maybe the, the three on three push that's happening right now. I think can also help um, outdoor court play. Can you go over when the the participation of basketball outside in regards to the pandemic? I know just walking around courts here in New Mexico, seeing them taped off like the rim, just not being able to play was just yeah. horrifying to be completely honest. Um, and your site, um, you mentioned to me that um, that the Denmark um, Federation promoted your website and. Um, trying to get people to um, play basketball legally outside. So I guess from an international perspective, can you just go over just when COVID just first hit from just a kind of basketball perspective, just not seeing people playing on the court. I mean, and not get, possibly pretty much not getting those emails of, Hey, you know, I'm in this country. Where can I you know, find a court? You know, that not happening because of COVID. What was that like for you? Yeah. And I, we're still, going through it and, and trying to figure out and um, it's really challenging to, uh, to keep up with. But yeah, the, the, um, yeah, the one thing you mentioned in, in Denmark, um, which is just south of us, they had a really, really strict uh, lockdown period where, um, and just like Germany, you couldn't play outside at a basketball court by yourself. Like, wow. I don't know how much that makes sense, but, um, <laughs> you know, any, uh, I mean, I know even in, you know, 
California. I think I can talk a little bit about the different things that I, I've seen with players communicating with me. But um, yeah, so what happened in Denmark is they just eased restrictions a couple of weeks ago, um, allowing groups to be able to practice outdoor together. I don't know if it's less than 12. They had some limit there, but the nice thing is they used our website, um, the Danish uh, Basketball Federation said, if you're looking to find an outdoor court, you can use this as a directory to find something uh, close to you. Um, so it's nice to get that that sort of, to be able to help a local community uh, to show them what they can do. But uh, for the most part in Sweden, for older older kids, uh, even in Denmark, like they just can't, uh, you can't practice inside. So I, and I can just talk from Sweden that unless it's a pro basketball league and you're over, if it's not pro and you're over 17, like the seasons have just been canceled like this wow. year. So it's still uh, going on. My son was going to, this weekend was supposed to be in the second round of the Swedish championships for under 15 and they just canceled the oh, whole thing man. this year. So, um, yeah, another thing I can talk about just with the pandemic, uh, one of our avid users, um, his name's Alan, and he travels a lot for business. And before he goes to cities, he's like, give me courts in Los Angeles and San Diego. He was down there a month ago. And we gave him a list that, you know, here's the top 20. We wrote articles on him. And three-fourths of them didn't have a rim. Oh, wow. Um <laughs> So I think anything owned by the city, at least in California, they just take down the rims. And, and he was just in Las Vegas this weekend. I go, it's got to be more lax there because you can go in casinos and, um, you know, you can gamble and you can go to events in limited numbers. And uh, and there there's just no rims anywhere. So the top five courts rated there. Um, even, at, you know, on the UNLV campus, we thought there were some signs that were there, but everything there's no place to play outside wow do you think that's going to hurt the development you know of the game of basketball from just a um i guess personal level just as a hobbyist into um professionals too i mean i think you know with the the vaccines being distributed hopefully the lights at the end of the tunnel and things will get back to normal pretty soon I mean, let's just say somehow everything's back to normal by like the fall. I mean, that's a huge chunk of time that's been missed in terms of development on so many different levels. I guess what are the, the consequences from a basketball perspective do you see um, happening because of COVID? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a generation here of some percentage of kids, of less kids playing basketball. So I, I may just speak on a, a you know a personal level that, I mean, I know on these kids' teams now, I mean, there's less kids practicing now than there were a year and a half ago, um, you know, because of the pandemic, because of the school situation, um, and made paranoia of parents. There's just less kids playing basketball. And I don't expect all of them to jump back, you know, a year later after not, you know, participating. So I'm sure on a global level and, you know, all sports, uh, there's going to be an impact, um, you know, that, that's going to last. And uh, I just think it's part of just, you know, maybe a broader, you know, subject of, you know, even kids participating fully in school. I mean, sure. I think all this goes together that it's yeah. just changed um, everything. 
and it, it's going to have long-term long-term effects I mean, it's not going to you know kill the sport of basketball but i just think on a on a, a global level there's less kids you know uh playing sports because of this and can you go over your sites on um, partnership with FIBA? That that's a really a huge um, partnership. Can it describe that? Because my impression was FIBA was more um, this international competition. So how's that gonna? How's that partnership going to manifest itself? And do you see the how? I guess how big do you see that partnership getting in the coming years? Yeah, yeah I think it's interesting being an American. Uh, like we're not so much in the FIBA world. I mean, I think like when it comes to the Olympics, you hear FIBA, you under, understand it, but um, and maybe that's just the structure in the U.S., but globally, well, maybe it's like everywhere outside of the U.S., like FIBA, I mean, is really the driver in all basketball um, like structures, like the kids team that are part of the Sweet, local federation that's part of the Swedish federation or part of FIBA. So it's really like the structure that builds all of basketball. Um, and maybe it's different here also because most of the sports, uh, unlike the U.S. where sports are always tied to the school, right? you're playing for your high school, you're playing for your junior high or college, and most of Europe sports are detached from schools. So there's local clubs you play with, you grow up within those clubs, you could be on the pro team of that club. Oh, wow. um, and for basketball, you know, they're all FIBA clubs. So they're all, um, you know, playing with FIBA approved basketballs and the bigger tournaments that you play, they're on FIBA approved, you know, flooring with FIBA approved scoreboards. And at the highest level, you know, if you have it, if you ever go watch a, like I go watch like Sweden or play some other visiting country on an international level. It's always on a facility that has all FIBA approved, you know, backboards, sound systems. Um, so uh, the division that we're uh, working with within FIBA is the equipment and venue center. Okay. So it's their responsibility to ensure the quality um, of all the manufacturers that are used in games, or if you look at a ball, you know, it says FIBA approved on it. They're the, the group in the center that actually tests those, um, you know, with the ultimate level of detail and quality. Um, so we're gonna work with them. They had an arena finder where you could find like all the different arenas that had uh, FIBA play, most of them international, you know, big venues that you couldn't just drop by and hoop at. Um, so we're we're partnering with them and we'll be changing the website. So you're getting breaking news here, Justin. Oh. Um, <laughs> but uh, they did announce this at uh, uh, the global partners meeting. So as more manufacturers learned about our, our website, so they're gonna, FIBA is gonna link to us to say like, find a court. And, um, and obviously part of the reason why you know, they're doing is they want to get kids out to play basketball. And we have the biggest database of concentrated courts. So they're going to just help promote this to help uh, promote uh, basketball. And then the one thing that we're also going to do since their interest, uh, I mean, is helping to grow basketball. Um, we're going to also show all the courts where they have approved equipment in. Uh, so you can kind of 
seeing lots of these courts are more, you know, private. Like you can't just go to Chase Center and say, let me get some shots up here. Sure. Um, so uh, we're going to work uh, uh, together to really try to, you know, fill out our courts globally and go both uh, indoors and outdoor. And I think just the cooperation we have with them is a good fit because, uh, you know, their social media presence, the amount of visitors they have going to their website uh, to look for things like courts or coaches or games, or you can get your three-on-three player score there. Um, at least they'll get exposure to our website um, and linking there. So some of the new features, and I sent you a, a sneak peek in the future, you can say, oh, I only want to see indoor courts, or I only want to see outdoor courts, or, you know, these FIBA courts. Can you tell me what these are about? Um, and we're going to add some some different things that we've always wanted uh to do like um, before, a couple of years ago, we didn't have like how many hoops there were. So a couple of years ago, we added how many hoops there are. Um, and now we're adding how many courts there are. Since now there isn't really that direct relation to two hoops equals one court. You know, you got two courts with two hoops. Uh, so we're going to add that. And I've had a gentleman really passionate about access uh, for wheelchairs to outdoor. Oh, cool courts so that's going to be a new field uh with its own icon so if you wanted to just filter like in my area where could i play um if i was in a wheelchair and a baller um so we're going to really kind of uh, add a bunch of features of the court page which we've already uh defined for each of the types so um so i think this is really a part of us you know taking off and going to uh a different, uh, potentially the platform to do some real different things, which, uh, you know, we hear all the the ideas on what we can do and we're going to kind of strategically pick what's our next step here. But I think we'll have a really good, uh, really good growing base here. Well, that's really fascinating. I think Courts of the World is a fantastic site for any basketball fan um, just looking just to find a game wherever they're wherever, um, you know, living. I mean, I think a lot of people are just, you know, traveling more once either pre-COVID and, you know, they're enthusiastic about the game of basketball and just looking for a court to play on. Um, and I think this website is really incredible for finding that. So um, thanks for your really um, taking part in creating this. Um, and it's something that I think every basketball fan should um, seek out. It's really just awesome. And not only that, just the blogs and information, just in terms of the backstory of all these different courts around the world, it's truly fascinating to read. Um, Ryan, can you please go over just where um, listeners and viewers can find yourself on social media? And then when do you think like the redesign of the website is going to take place and anything that um, our listeners and viewers should um, be on the lookout for for the rest of this year for Courts of the World. Okay. And Justin, first, tell me the best local court in your area. Ah, good question. Um, holy boy. I would say indoor, definitely Johnson Center. Um, this is, I went to the University of New Mexico, um, okay. and I just have a soft spot for, for that court just because you get a lot of I don't know, former college players and just students. And it's like a mishmash of people. So that one's a personal favorite. I would say, and I don't know the location of this. It's near downtown Albuquerque. It's like, it looks like a cage basically. Um, second street or third street. Um, that court's really cool. Um, and I think that's kind of encompasses Albuquerque. It's, it's kind of like a, a rougher town, kind of a, kind of a rougher edge to it. So I think, 
in terms of the outdoor court. I don't know the name of it, um, but play on it a couple of times and it kind of has that the, the soul of Albuquerque. Um, if, if I were just to name one of them. Okay. Yeah, it, was, it was funny. I now hearing you talk, it, it made me think like, well, what's the courts that I find the best experience. And sometimes you don't even know the name of these courts. Cause they're just yeah. kind of like, you know, the court next to the park and the sandwich, you know, where it is. Or you, and I think that's why our, um, to be transparent about our website, like our map, like, 80% of our traffic's to our map because you want to go plug in where you're at and what's around you. Uh, you may not know the name and lots of the, the courts on courts of the world are just cool basketball court or basketball court. You know, there's, there's no name, but we okay. can plot it on a map and you can see uh, five stars. Okay. I'm, you're gonna have to send me a picture. I'm going to see how we rated this, uh, this one on second or, or third street. So I'll, I'll, I'll look at our map. Uh, so our, really our, our hub is uh, courtsoftheworld.com, uh, and I'd urge anyone to become a, a player. You can uh, sign up there and have your own account. It, it, it's free. And some of the cool things that will happen when you, have, when you actually log in, you can track all the courts that you've added uh, yourselves or all the pictures that you've uploaded. You can see them on your page. And a uh, new feature that we came out with uh, – Maybe six months ago is check-ins. Oh, cool. So if you want to just start saying, I've been to all these 50 courts in these countries, you can even backdate your check-ins. So I, you know, we played in the Philippines and New Zealand with my son. I kind of went back and I, I documented, uh, you know, where we were at and you can put in the dates in, in the past. So on your page, you can see where you've checked in all your photos. And then, um, might not be in a couple of weeks with our relaunch, but pretty soon you can see all of them on your own map. Uh, so it's really cool. Um, and logging in uh, or creating an account will help you. Uh, that'll enable you to rate courts and um, and really get more involved uh, with the uh, website. Um, if anyone wants to connect with me personally, may just look me up, uh, Ryan. I'm sure if you do a combination of Ryan Courts of the World on LinkedIn, you could connect if you're interested in uh, sponsoring uh, the website or connecting on a business level or want to help write articles or whatever. Uh, we're always open uh, to that. On Instagram, someone took Course of the World, and I've been trying to get it for about a year. Uh, so we're basketball.courts of the world. Gotcha. On Instagram. So those are the two. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, so you can connect there. And uh, even on our website, I think there's an instant message uh, button there if you ever want to hit us up either me Klaus, or stefan will we'll get back to you i want to thank you uh for your time uh justin and uh i didn't know about your website uh until uh, you reached out to me and i think i've hit i just did the kareth uh burke uh, <laughs> episode being a warriors fan so uh i think you guys are doing great work and it's uh i like the guest you're uh you're bringing on and the variety of topics. So I've enjoyed kind of digging in and I'll, I'll continue to, uh, to be a fan. So it's, it's really been enjoyable. Appreciate it, Ryan. Thank you very much for the time. I know it's late out there in Sweden. Uh, thanks for taking um, some time um, this out of your, your day just to talk with us about your website. And we're looking forward to chatting with you fairly soon. Cool, Justin. Take it easy. Thanks, Ryan. Welcome to Hoopsology. I am Justin Goodrum, joined by Matt Thomas. What's up, man? Hey, Justin. Man, it is winter again in New Mexico. 
every year it's like this time period in March where we get a week that's like really warm. And then you kind of play, you know, especially like if you're a homeowner or whatever, you play kind of cooler chicken. Yeah. Like, do I set up the cooler or mm-hmm. is that cold front coming in? And man, I, I'm usually these days waiting until May or so to do that. But anyway, how are you? I'm good, man. I can, yeah, totally relate with the weather just because I've been following the weather in Colorado just because um, planning a possible move up there. And it's people at first, they're like, oh, this big snowstorm is supposed to come. It's not coming. And then all of a sudden they get slammed with tons of snow. So um, <laughs> it's the weather. I think it's very similar to New Mexico where um, you, you want to wear shorts one day and all of a sudden you get nailed with a snowstorm. So it's hard to keep track. Yeah, it can just be a little bit more extreme with uh, the snowfall up there. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, but definitely uh, definitely a lot of similarities. I, I spent about a year up there, as you know. Yeah. Uh, and that's, you know, the, the one big snowstorm I had uh, was right after Thanksgiving, turned what normally was an eight-hour drive into a 12-hour drive. Oh, jeez. Getting through all the snow oh, in the Denver man. area. Uh, so definitely they get dumped on a lot more than we do here in New Mexico. But in terms of like the temperatures, yeah, a lot of similarities there for sure. Well, before we hop into our topics today, I want to thank Ryan O'Leary from Courts of the World for joining the show. Really awesome interview. Just really fascinating is him going into just the roots of basketball, which is just, you know, playing on like, a court somewhere near your neighborhood. And it's just a great database for those looking to find a game anywhere. If you're new to a state, you must move there. And you're just trying to find a pickup game. It's a great site just to gain, you know, some new friends by just playing a game, you know. And it's something, at least in America, because he went into detail in terms of he lives in Sweden. So he was saying that a lot of the restrictions are still tight. And even mm. he was saying, um, even here in America, quite honestly, he was saying um, – even Vegas and some other states that the rims are still removed from these parks outside. So yeah. it's just such a bummer just to see. So hopefully as things get back to normal, you know, these, these parks can, you know, get the the basketball community uh, playing again. But anyways, check out Courts of the World. They have a, a great partnership with FIBA coming out. Um, as you might have listened to in the, in the interview you just listened to, if you're watching this on YouTube, check out our YouTube feed for that. That's coming up. And he goes into detail with their partnership with, again, with FIBA and the international game. He goes into detail, too. Um, wasn't expected to hear from about this, but just how the international basketball world outside of america is basically controlled by fiba and we have our own insular kind of program here so um it was fascinating to see they just to hear him talk about that as well but a great interview with ryan o'leary and uh, thanks for him for coming on to the show um it was just a great chat with him and thank um, you for interviewing him yeah, yeah. you're welcome man yeah, and great work and our feed, just stay tuned for, again, our, our YouTube channel and our podcast feed. Tons of great interviews. I don't want to spoil anything, but let's just say um, you're going to have tons to listen to the next couple of months. So stay tuned for that. Um, but on today's show, we're going to discuss um, the Hall of Fame. We're going to talk about this Mile Leonard controversy again, <laughs> athletes in video games. I don't know what the deal is. And then uh, <laughs> Patrick Ewing's kind of roller coaster week, I guess. I don't know call it a roller coaster week, I guess. You know, Mass Square Garden security just being stupid with him. But his uh, team, Georgetown, winning the Big East tournament. So let's talk about that. But first, Matt, you have your trending topics this week in the NBA. Absolutely. So 
We do these trends every week just to keep you guys update up to date on what's going on in the NBA. Uh, last time we spoke, it was the All-Star break, and we were reviewing that. So the NBA has since returned to action this past Wednesday, and we have some streaks that have carried over from last week. So in the East, we have trending up the Philadelphia 76ers, the Brooklyn Nets, and the Atlanta Hawks under their new coach. Uh, all three of those teams have won their last four. The Milwaukee Bucks, the Miami Heat, and the Charlotte Hornets have all won their last three. Uh, trending down, the Orlando Magic have lost their last seven. The Toronto Raptors have lost their last four. We'll get back to that. The Detroit Pistons and the Washington Wizards have lost their last three. In the West, there are no positive trends to report today, as of when I was checking the, the records. Uh, the only trend to look at in the West, the Rockets continue to plummet. They have lost now 15 straight games uh, PJ Tucker and the Rockets have mutually agreed that it's time to part ways. So he is still being shopped around to certain teams. Lots of people talking about uh, maybe the Nets picking him up, maybe the Lakers. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. Next trend I want to talk about, quick headline. I don't get to talk about Lobo news, but I wore my Lobo hat intentionally today. Justin, I know you saw this. Uh, not often we get to celebrate the Lobos here, the New Mexico Lobos. For those of you that don't know, it's it's basically the basketball pride of our state of New Mexico. Tony Snell hits a game winner for Atlanta. That's right. Uh, to defeat the Toronto Raptors. They were down by two. He hit the three at the buzzer to put them up by one and win that game. Um, so good on you, Tony Snell. Thank you for keeping the Lobos somewhat relevant. <laughs> Um, Carmelo Anthony this week passed Hakeem Olajuwon for 11th place on the all-time scoring list. He is just under 400 points away from catching up to Elvin Hayes for the top 10. And then the next person up on that list is, is very close as well. I think maybe Oscar Robertson, if I'm not mistaken. So possibly Melo either this year if he hangs around for next year uh he's definitely going to be in the top 10 on that scoring list no surprise he's always been an elite level scorer um last trend i have here real quick before we elaborate or talk about whatever you want to talk about next justin yeah uh in kind of a feel-good story before we get to some weird headlines um karis lavert made his pacers debut this week uh really great to see this is seven weeks after his potentially life-saving surgery on his kidney uh those of you who have been listening to us you probably remember we reported on this when Karis LeVert was traded from the Nets as a part of that James Harden trade. Hard to believe that's already been seven weeks, but right. here we are. Yeah. Uh, there was a growth that was found on one of his kidneys. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, there there were doubts, I think, about whether he was going to be able to return this season or not. He had successful surgery, and he made his Pacers debut this week. So great to see. Uh, congratulations, congratulations to him. And I also want to say, you know, just kudos to the Pacers for – taking him on in in spite of seeing that uh growth on the kidney that could have nullified the trade entirely uh but they decided they wanted to keep karis lavert and um you know great great thing uh, one of the uh maybe best things that's ever happened in uh, a medical evaluation for a trade is that they found something potentially life-threatening and took care of it right away well that's something that um pat boylan um 
we interviewed a few weeks ago brought up, you know, he was going to be a critical piece. That's so right. It's uh, good just to see him uh, make his return as well. Um, in terms of like other trends, I mean, it's a bummer. I mean, look at the Bulls. I mean, they've lost two in a row. There are four games under 500. Um, you know, even though Zach Levine's still leading him in scoring, it's still, you know, unfortunate as a C. But I think overall with the league, you're starting to see the Bucks, Nets, and Sixers start to really separate themselves. And then you just basically have a mess, a log jam, uh, basically teams four through 11. Um, yeah. fighting for that spot so who knows when we you know get to the playing games i mean your guess is as good as mine like predicting that um mm-hmm. at least in the um in the east and in the west i think you're seeing kind of the western conference of old like a good six teams that are solid contenders for say and then kind of you know seven through nine um, kind of even as its way out. And then you probably, in terms of the Grizzlies, Thunders, Pelicans, Kings, Rockets, and Timberwolves, kind of like those are kind of your weaker teams. But, you know, pretty much going to nine, you're trying to see that separation there. So I think that's yeah. good to see as we head to the second half of the season, for sure. Yeah, everyone keep your eyes on the Phoenix Suns. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> I'm not just saying that because of our buddy Josh. No. but uh, But, man, fascinating that they are sitting not at the very top of the West, but right there in second under the jazz. Um, Just going to be interesting to see how far they can go and amazing. The impact that Chris Paul has had for one uh, on that team. Mm -hmm. Well, here's an impromptu topic, something we didn't discuss, but inside the NBA talked about this. You you brought him up. So I'll ask, Uh, is Chris Paul a MVP candidate this season? They debated it on inside the NBA. Um, some people said yes, others said no, and I think they even mentioned he has higher scoring than when Steve Nash won the MVP his year. Mm. So, what's your opinion on that? Just curious. Well, in my opinion, no, just because the numbers aren't there for your typical MVP, and since Steve Nash won that MVP, the numbers have gotten more and more ridiculous with guys like sure. Russell Westbrook in 2016, guys like James Harden winning that. Uh, it really has as much as it was a statistics award like in the 90s when you and i started watching basketball i think that's expanded even more i I think in terms of mvp if you go kind of like old school definition of like who is the most valuable player to their team and you look at that like record from last year versus record this year i think that's where your case for chris paul is but for me um, you know, at the all-star break, I think his numbers were around like 16, eight and five, something like that. Um, you know, not, not to bad mouth him or anything like that. He's having a tremendous year and he's 35 yeah. and he's had, you know, he's had an injury plagued career, unfortunately. And it's, it's great to see him flourishing in Phoenix like this. Um, so from a narrative perspective, I, I think the narrative is there. I just don't think the numbers are enough to get enough of the uh, the vote from the media. Well, I think his MVP candidacy will play into how we remember him as a player. Just because, mm. I mean, I don't expect him to win it, but if he's like top three in voting and the, the Suns, you know, end up with this record here, of being, you know, still keeping the number, even I would say top four. I mean, they just, you know, somehow they dropped to the number four seed. I mean, that's a pretty miraculous turnaround. Um, and in how they 
perform in the playoffs as well. Because if the Suns, you know, make it to the Western Conference Finals or the NBA Finals, you never know with COVID and everything. I mean, all bets are off. So if that does happen, I mean, that's going to really play into Chris Paul's legacy because previously, you know, he was one of those guys considered, you know, not being able to get it done in the playoffs for a number of reasons. So this is kind of possibly his last chance. I mean, this is just a golden opportunity. I mean, no one really expected Chris Paul to have this impact. Um, I think many people, including myself, were writing him off, but I think that was pretty foolish. I mean, look what he did in Oklahoma City. I mean, they exceeded expectations with him on the team as well. So I think this season's going to be very interesting when we reach the playoffs to see what happens with the Suns and, and how much he has an effect on this team during the playoffs. 100% 100% agree. And I think I was one of the people who was, you know, maybe compared to other podcasts and whatnot, a little more bullish on the Suns. And I, I believe I picked them like sixth or seventh in the West. And that was like, I, I kind of felt like, oh, man, you might be giving them a little too much credit. And yeah, I mean, they've just totally come alive this year and right before the All-Star break, especially to elevate to second. So we'll see, you know, we'll see if they can uh, carry this out. If they're a top four seed, you know, they're they're going to make a push in the playoffs. I don't know about Western Conference Finals, but uh, but they're a threat, no doubt. And if they get the 1-4 matchup against the Jazz, I, I'm pretty worried if I'm the Jazz. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's move on. Let's talk about some Hall of Fame real quick. Yeah. And the, you know, this is, to make it clear, this is the Basketball Hall of Fame. So this is not the NBA Hall of Fame. And I think that's just the, the important distinction to remember here. Because they do factor in everything, even though it's weird just with Bill Russell being headed in there as a coach. So you know, that's where it just gets dicey um, in terms of, what you put people in and what you don't kind of sounds like the WWE Hall of Fame where it's just kind of <laughs> picking the rules here. But anyways, um, here are the finalists. We have Rick Adelman. And I'm, I'm not going to run out of their accomplishments. We'll be here forever. But um, we have Rick Adelman, um, Chris Bosh, Michael Cooper. Um, let's see, Bill Russell, as I mentioned, um, and as him as a coach. Um, Paul Pierce, Jay Wright, Yolanda Griffith, Lauren Jackson, Moraine Staley, um, excuse me, Maria Ann Staley, sorry, um, Letta Andrews, Tim Hardaway, Marcus Johnson, Ben Wallace, and Chris Weber. Um, and then I think those last few um, finalists, there are previous finalists. Um, and it's the kind of read you the schedule here. Um, the entire class um, will be selected by a committees, unveiled May 16, 2021. And hopefully there'll be a natural, like, real um, enshrinement ceremony with you know people in the stands to participate um, and not virtually I think that would be pretty cool to see and then um, I think the event's supposed to take place September 2021 well that would be pretty cool um, and I think it's supposed to be the announcement that the enshrinement ceremony is supposed to be at the Mohegan Sun and that's in Connecticut May, 16th, May 14th to May 16th um, and so if you want information in terms of possibly going or getting tickets uh, just go to um, hoophall.com and check that out but Matt um, what did you think of these finalists overall um, I think what stands out to me is Paul Pierce I mean he's probably going to get in I'm, I'm not necessarily a fan of his but I think his <laughs> career warrants it Yeah. Um, I think what's interesting is Michael Cooper being nominated as a first time finalist I find that bizarre um, just because you know he's five time all NBA defensive team and five time champion um 
And not to mention his legacy as a coach, too. I mean, let's not, let's not forget that with the WNBA. So um, what do you make of this class? And, you know, we're getting old. Chris Bosh is going to be a Hall of Famer. So what are, you, what are your thoughts over on these finalists? Yeah, I, I mean, two rivals there, Paul Pierce and Chris Bosh. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think Paul Pierce is your definite lock. I think Rick Adelman as a coach is probably a lock. He, he had a very successful coaching career. Um, you know, maybe not um, all the titles, uh, but, but piled up a ton of wins. I mean, um, in my mind anyway, and, and maybe I'm missing gaps of his career, but sure. um, I, I know he coached the Rockets for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, he coached the Chris Webber uh, Sacramento Kings. Uh, so that's that's probably where he's he's most famous for coaching those Sacramento Kings teams that were going up against the Lakers uh, in the early 2000s. There uh, also spent some time on the Timberwolves, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So I think Coach Adelman uh, probably gets in. Um, Michael Cooper, I, th- I think he's been eligible for a while now, right? He he just got uh, nominated this year. I believe so. Just boosted up in the in the list there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, so I th- to to make a long story short, because I, I don't want to go. Um, you know, we could talk about these these players' careers. I, I feel very similar uh, as you do about Paul Pierce, but he's the only one I see that's like a guaranteed lock. I mean, you list out his career, franchise player for yeah. one of the greatest franchises, two time title winner, and he was the best player on that team for those two titles, the best overall player. They did it by committee, no doubt, but uh, I think Paul Pierce is a lock. Um, Chris Bosch, I think, will get in given that his career was cut short um, because of medical reasons. Uh, so unfortunately he didn't, he didn't get to, he, he didn't get the opportunity to pile up the numbers that uh, a lot of other players do since he had to retire early for those medical reasons. Uh, but I do think uh, not just because of that, but also because of merit, Chris Bosch was a, a great player. Um, I, I think he will get in, maybe not first time around, but I do think he will be in eventually. A lot of people, um, other podcasts I listen to have been weighing, like, is this the year that we see a Ben Wallace get in? Is this the year that we see a Chris Weber get in? Um, you know, I, I'm not sure. Uh it's you mentioned that and you're absolutely right this is the basketball hall of fame so with chris weber you also have to factor in his time at michigan yeah it's just such a such a controversial one i think basketball reference has his chances of making the hall of fame at like 15 percent, which seems crazy when you think about how dominant chris weber was i mean really a better player than Chris Bosch, in my opinion, just um, didn't put up the numbers that Chris Bosch put up um, and had kind of a legacy, like even in, in college of, of just kind of like falling short, kind of unrealized potential with him. Um, you know, he, he was slammed a lot of times on those Sacramento Kings teams for falling short. So I don't know. I guess my lock would be Paul Pierce. I'm almost positive Bosch will get in as well. Um, if not this time around, then next year. Um, but I don't know. Give me your thoughts. Do you do you think Paul Pierce is an absolute lock as well, it sounds like? It's so tough. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's so difficult just because what is really the criteria of getting into the Hall of Fame, right? 
it is super subjective. I mean, oh, yeah. it's to me. I think Chris Bosh is a lock. I think he's easily in. I think Paul Pierce is easily in. It seems to me from coaches, either you have a ton of wins or you have titles to back it up. So I see Rick Adelman and Jay Wright in. I think my question is, is just how many, because I know depending on Hall of Fame's in different sports, and this this is my ignorance and knowing like what how many spots are there for the Hall of Fame, right? Um, because to me, once you know that, then you can kind of determine who deserves to get honored who, and who doesn't. And I think – looking at it now is it's going to be okay how do you stack up like you know somebody like Yolanda Griffith who's like a two-time Olympic gold medalist at the same time like I think Chris Bosch I believe he won the gold medal too um in the Olympics if I'm not mistaken so that's a factor as well and um I think I want to say Paul Pierce did he play in the Olympics too um I thought he did I think So, so yeah I mean that's this that's a factor in really all of this so to me, I'm not really – this is so hard to predict. I wish I had a more of an interesting answer. But it's kind of like whoever gets in gets in. I just – I don't necessarily feel sorry or feel disappointed at people that don't get in. It's because it's just so subjective. I think that's something that we'll have to take a look at someone like a Vince Carter, right? Like does does he get in? I think, you know, no dunks was talking about that, you know, over the years, you know, he has an impact with the slam dunk competition. I mean, he revolutionized that along, but his playing career at the same time, it's really tough. Do you put him in or not? So I think these are just kind of, I guess, interesting questions. I mean, compared to the baseball hall of fame, where it's just so hardcore on numbers, you know, Mm -hmm. and football is a lot more strict. I think, the basketball hall of fame is more on emotion and this contributions to the game that's in a intangible category as opposed to hey you scored this many points you get this many rebounds so i don't know i don't have a hardcore answer i i don't think ben wallace deserves to get in Mm -hmm. my feeling on it I, i just don't think he's good enough whereas with chris weber i uh it's tough he's borderline that's something I'm willing to like cash out a discussion with, but Ben Wallace probably not. Mm-hmm. So, and I think you know Tim Hardaway. I think that's another question too. I mean, does he get in? And then also keep in mind the the eras that they played in. You know, Weber was right. Late, you know, end of Michael Jordan, Kobe, and Shaq. Tim Hardaway, right. the Jordan era. So that's a really hard era to win titles. Whereas compared to this era now. Guys are free agents. You can team up and win titles. You can go and play wherever. And we've seen it over the past, I would say, I don't know, last 15 years, multiple different franchises win the title from San Antonio to Dallas to Golden State to, um, you know, the, the Lakers again. I mean, and just there's been a wide more variety of teams in the finals mix. Um, and even, you know, we saw even last year with the Heat. I mean, look at that, right? This sort of miraculous run there. So, it's just really tough to say, but I think my shock would be if Ben Wallace gets in, especially because he's a previous finalist. I don't see it happening. And that's what's just amazing to me, something about like Michael Cooper. Like, he's a first-time finalist. Mm. So I, that's where I'm I'm very curious. Like, maybe, maybe we could find talk to somebody who's you know, follows the Hall of Fame every year just to see, you know, why it takes so long for a Michael Cooper when, you know, Ben Wallace was nominated last year and didn't get in. So that's that's very curious to me. Yeah, it's tough. And, you know, like like from the emotional side of things, I, I think you look at Chris Webber 
and the skill set that he brings or brought to the game. I, I mean, there are players in that Hall of Fame right now and, and players we have debated before that I think, you know, Chris, Chris Weber has more talent on one hand than some of those players have yeah, with exactly. all due respect to those players. That's true. And yet I, I also, it, it's something where I see both sides of those arguments and, and I don't necessarily disagree with either one. I mean, the narrative that, you know, it's unrealized potential. I have, I think that's, that's hard to argue with, but it's also like when you, when you look at the story of basketball over the decades, I mean, he, he is vital to basketball in the nineties. Uh, as part of that Fab Four team, I mean, I mean, he is a big player in basketball history. So it's it's just kind of weird to think that the Hall of Fame might not include him. But at the same time, like I also don't want to just put someone in for the sake of their name. Like I definitely, you know, I, I guess my criteria would be different than your criteria, which would be different than the next person's criteria. You know, as far as what. Um, what constitutes getting placed into the hall of fame. So it'd be interesting to be a fly in the room in that committee meeting and see how they break this down. Uh, Cause we have, you know, the, the classic example that people bring up is Mitch Richmond is in the hall of fame. Yeah. Um, a guy who put up numbers, no doubt, who was a great scorer, no doubt, a, a great three point shooter for his era. Um, but man, I mean, looking, looking at his career and like, comparing it to someone like a clay thompson or or someone like that he looks like pretty mediocre in comparison you know so it's it's just interesting how it it continues to evolve and um you know what like you're saying what era you play in can have such a huge impact on that well it's gonna be difficult because somebody like a chris weber he has a lot of baggage i mean the whole michigan situation with the fab five he was to blame for that the timeout and then honestly all they you know i think we maybe touched on it in our triple double days just regarding you know the beef he has with jalen rose and you know the fab five you know and just and it's come up again just seeing jawan howard just you know seeing the resurgence of michigan and yeah power in college and you know jawan howard's behind that and not to mention you know when he is up for the you know if you, who knows what happens in you know Michigan, right? What happens if he wins the national title a couple of times there, and you know him as a coach as well? I believe he was on those Miami Heat staffs, so I believe when they won the title. So mm-hmm. if you count that, I mean, he as an assistant coach, championship, college championship, his long running NBA career. I mean, he he could leapfrog Chris Webber fairly quickly. So it's you know there's other these other intangibles are gonna I think matter and who they vote for and who they don't. So um, it's gonna be fascinating just to see what happens um, from that perspective. And that's sure. why seeing things from like a historical perspective and lo- looking at who tends to get in, you know, that's a great example with Juwan Howard right there. A great hypothetical. I, I could see you know when you compare like Vince Carter to Chris Weber. I mean, you have Vince Carter as a journeyman playing into his 40s i could see him having a better shot uh and the fact that i I don't think he burned sure there's bridges that he burned in toronto although they've since kind of patched that up a little bit um there's not as many bridges burned as there is with chris weber and some other of his ties uh to the sport of basketball in general not just the nba alone uh so someone like vince carter i think has 
more likelihood of making it, even if you don't like his stats as much as you like Chris Webber's. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, anything else you wanted to discuss before we move on? No, man. We'll we'll keep tabs on this and um, and announce those those finalists when they come out in May. So um, we don't have to touch on this too much, just because um, with Miles Leonard, um, I believe he hasn't played this season, so I don't think it's too relevant in terms of him affecting the heat from a performance standpoint um, but it made news this week and uh, he was fined of $50,000 for saying a anti-Semitic slur uh, playing a video game live stream so the NBA did issue the defined to him of $50,000 and suspended him from visiting the Miami Heat facilities um, for one week um, you know just a bad look for the league bad look for him I mean it's kind of straightforward he said something pretty stupid. I mean, you're a public figure at all times when you're in front of the public. I mean, you might as well act like, you know, you're in front of millions of people every single time. That's just the way it goes. And he so, was in his own sponsored event. Yeah. He, he was go. sponsored. I, I don't know if it was by Twitch or someone else, but ah. he was sponsored for this gaming, um, mm. you know, kind of like Twitch stream that he does go. on a regular basis. So. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm sorry. Please continue. No, you're right. I mean, that's just a situation in which you are representing the Miami Heat and you're representing the NBA. I know it sounds corny. It sounds it sounds like you're kind of, you know, I guess not berating, but lecturing. There you go. Lecturing like, you know, a high school student, right? Like you should know better and have the maturity to, you know, know what your standing is and how you're representing yourself at all times. So he made a mistake. Again, I don't. I think he needs to be shown what he did wrong, why it was wrong, and it seems like he's shown remorse according to Adam Silver. So we'll see how it goes. If this becomes a pattern of behavior, then this is something that is going to be serious for him down the line, but we'll see how this plays out. I don't have any too much thoughts on this. I think Delhi issued the right punishment, and there's going to be eyes on him from here. And I just hope that he learned his lesson for what he did because what he I don't think saying that it's not like a slip of the tongue situation like I'm sure he's used that phrase before <laughs> so I'm sure that wasn't the first time that he just decided to just throw that out there so hopefully he you know gets the counsel from a lot of other athletes you know that you know that are Jewish and that were offended that you know wanted to show him why those his words were harmful and then we can you know as a society not try to just cancel him forever but show him the error of his ways and he can become a better person i think that's the ultimate goal of this i don't have any other other thoughts on this to you yeah yeah a couple things just sure. just real quick yeah, um, please. you know i i think it's disappointing to me that look this is a grown man okay yeah. this is a grown man you're responsible for what you say we all agree what he said uh was wrong you, you shouldn't be using those words even in your personal life uh, i mean really um you know your personal business is your personal business but we all agree uh that that should not have been said especially on a live stream um and so you know his his apology to me where he he says he doesn't understand he didn't understand the word and its impact i, I find that tough to believe just being that he's in his mid to late 20s um, he's a grown man. I, I would have much preferred an apology that just says, like, I'm sorry for saying that. Like, don't try right. and get your way out of this. Even if that is the truth, 
Um, you know, and I, I'm not saying Myers Leonard is a bad person. P- people make mistakes. I'm certainly not perfect. Sure. Um, but you know, just just own it. Which you know, he he's come around and he's done that. It seems like he's making an effort. I I will say that. The other thing I'll say too, um, it, it seems like for and please correct me if I'm wrong if you've heard otherwise. But the the Heat have suspended him from team activities for I, I believe the rest of the season. Am oh, I wow. wrong in that? Uh, let me double check. Or was it just a week, that. like you said? I, I know um, the NBA, I believe, suspended him for a week. Um, I so here's my point. Um, I I would really wonder if the same punishment would have been handed out, and like that severe of a suspension would have been placed had it been hypothetically like Jimmy Butler or one of the starters, someone who is not recovering from a shoulder surgery. Um, so I, I agree, you know, I agree with the fine. I, I agree with um, the the punishment that's been handed down. I don't think he should like lose his roster spot over this or anything like that. Um, you know, provided he shows remorse um, and, and works, you know, to, to be better at this. But, um, you know, it, it just seems a little bit convenient to like throw the hammer down on someone if they're benched, they're out for the rest of the season anyway with the shoulder injury. You know what I'm saying? I I don't know. Maybe I'm being too cynical. Um, but I, I just don't think like Jimmy Butler would be suspended for a month or more, uh, over something like this, you know, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just too cynical. So I remember Adam Silver because he was interviewed by Mike Greenberg on ESPN, and he said that the fifty thousand dollars was the maximum that the NBA can fine him for mm. this type of offense. And I can't find anything else regarding the rest of the season. Um, here's well, here's, let's just assume the week then. I, I'm probably mistaken. Yeah, yeah. Let's here's, just assume the week long, which I think that's fine for the record. Yeah. For sure. Here, here's the article um, from ESPN. Quote, the suspension does not include loss of pay for games missed because Leonard is currently injured. Sources confirmed to ESPN Bobby Marks. He appeared in only three games for the Heat this year. Diagnosed with a season-ending sh- shoulder injury in January. He um, will still be compensated for the five games um, the Heat played during his suspension. If he had been healthy, Leonard would have been forfeiting $324,000. So it seems gotcha. like that's kind of his punishment for now from what if you know if we are if we're incorrect please put it in the comments um and then we'll we'll go from there. But I get what you're saying, Matt. I think people in in general they are they're ignorant and it's a situation in which they have poor judgment and with him, he has a responsibility more than just a regular person out on the street that, you know, whether the, he, you know, knew the history of the word or not, which I think is, you know, important. I think it makes it worse if he was using it over and over again. At the same time, like, as a public figure, you need to put that to the side. Like you said, Matt, this is a sponsored event that you're at. Like, you need to act accordingly. This is not you and your boys in your mansion just chilling. Like... This is something that you're out from. You're promoting the league. In a sense, you're promoting the Miami Heat. And to say that in this situation, who knows what he's saying in his personal life. So, like like you said, Matt, I don't think he's a bad guy. I think I kind of believe him in what he said in terms of the use of the word that he may not know the history. Um, Whether or not he does or not, I think 
doesn't excuse the fact he used poor judgment. Yeah. And he is he's a you know, he's a public figure and i think it's pretty obvious like come on like what i mean it's not hard when you're in a situation where in any even if he's playing you know on twitch in his personal stream you know somebody's going to record that <laughs> that's the society since you're in. a public figure yeah yeah i mean people are more incentivized correct so to get you in huh. trouble yeah exactly yeah so i don't know I, I i just think this is a learning experience we also live in a, in a society that we have short memories so two years from now, if he doesn't do anything else, who's going to really come for his neck? I say no one <laughs> just because of this. He got the punishment. He'll learn from it. And then we can just, you know, again, like I said before, um, fans can just kind of move on from it. But if this is a pattern of behavior, this is a situation in which it could come back to haunt him and, and possibly ruin his career if he continues to show poor judgment. So this is a lesson. And also since he's not playing as well, I think the backlash could have been a lot worse since he's injured. So, you know, the spotlight, it's not necessarily on him. So overall, he, I think he kind of dodged a bullet, in my opinion. So hopefully this is a teaching moment. Yeah, yeah. And and I agree with the punishment I handed out, that, all that good and well. And I also think, like, we should move on. He, he should make an effort to be better. There should be forgiveness, too, if, if he makes that effort, for sure. Um, you know, another thing I'll say, uh, just briefly, and I, I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent, but there are horrible things said, like, every day, if you've ever been on, like, Xbox Live chat, <laughs> if yeah, you've ever know. been, like, the, <laughs> yeah. what Myers Leonard said, and this is not to excuse him, no, 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 not by any means, but I've heard much worse, unfortunately. So this this is an unfortunate part of gamer culture, I, I think. Yeah, and that's not to you know bash anyone who is a gamer or anything like that. But I, I think people just feel really emboldened when they're on these chats. And maybe this is a habit. You know, maybe maybe not that word specifically. I don't know. Uh, but maybe this is a habit that he has with his buddies. Uh, again, not saying that's correct. And he just got too comfortable on a stream and said it. Either way, the punishment is correct. Um, and, you know, I, I hope he can he can move on from this. Uh, but, yeah, I think you got to be careful. You know, Rondo has had issues in the past with words he said. Kobe Bryant had a controversy with with some words he, he said. So there, there have been players that have done this before. The difference is those guys were like elite level starters. You got to be a little more careful when you are someone 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 on your bench. You don't have as much job security, you know, as, as someone like a Kobe Bryant. Not Those guys were fine, too, and punished as well. So not to say they weren't punished or anything, but you're given more opportunities when you have more talent. Um, that's true. You get more leeway. I'll say with the gaming culture, you're a thousand percent correct on that. I mean, it is extremely toxic. I don't know if you remember, <laughs> man. Um, this, this is a memory um, back when we were in college. I think it was me, you, and our buddy Cedric. Yeah. We're playing yep. Halo. You remember That's that? That's what I was thinking about. Yep. And just like all those like little kids on there, like just unbelievable. Like it was just a complete shock what they were saying <laughs> on this on this chat. And the problem is when there the communication on there, there's no one there's very little to no moderation. And so all this is just a wild west. And it's <laughs> I've seen a lot of videos in terms of really horrible language towards women, towards minorities, just in terms of these 
just to get a psychological edge in these video games is pretty deplorable. So I don't know. We don't have to go into this whole thing and bashing gamer culture, uh, but at the same time, it, it is it reflects negatively on it. And I think you see, you know, no one just because you're an NBA player doesn't mean you are immune to participating in a, in a toxic environment. So maybe this brings attention to maybe cleaning up, you know, the language on there because I just I don't believe you have to say this this horrible stuff to have a good time playing a video game. I think it's it's I think it's pretty easy not to do. So, uh, but we'll just have to see if you see how it plays out from here. Yeah, yeah, and for the record, there is like a little bit more moderation than uh, back when you and I were were playing Halo in in college, <laughs> kind of. Um, but but no, you're right about the Wild Wild West comment. And I, I think this is born out of, you know, more. I, I honestly, uh, I believe this anyway, and maybe I'm naive. I, I don't think it's born out of hate towards anyone that they I, I think it's more um, like male friends, you know, trying to rip on each other. That doesn't make the language right, though. Um, so, yeah, there there could be way more moderation. Well, it's just the problem is this is a new technology and everything that's new takes years to finally get um, a, a hang on, right? And just, for instance, like, you know, Napster and downloading music. I mean, look how long until there is lost because of that. And I think with this, you know, Twitch is a new platform, streaming is a new platform. So in terms of moderating each stream, I mean, that is extremely hard to do when you have millions and billions of people across the planet with their own streams. That's that is a massive task to accomplish. So I understand how hard it is. I mean, at the same time, you know, people are, are vicious and you just can't trust the behavior. I mean, people are not going to be responsible. That's why we have crimes in, this, in the world is that people can make crimes. So mm-hmm. I think overall there needs to be checks and balances. And that goes to, you know, Xbox, you know, Microsoft, Sony. I mean, it's a big thing where we could talk about for hours and hours, but we don't have time. But right, basically... Right. I think this is kind of falls on, you know, Twitch as well, maybe to do their homework on who they, you know, go in business with overall, especially somebody that's like, let's face it, he's just a public figure and a celebrity like Miles Leonard. I mean, this is not just some random person online. So um, hopefully this brings attention to really cleaning up just the toxic language that, you know, gamers hear on a daily basis because I don't think it's necessary to have a good time on there. Agreed. Um, let's talk about this last thing. Pretty stupid, but overall, um, I think led to some good news, and that's about Patrick Ewing. And I have done a little bit of homework on this, but from what I have seen, it's really unclear what the situation is, the specific incident. So some background. Patrick Ewing is the head coach of Georgetown. They participated in the Big East tournament. As you, If you're a basketball fan, it's March Madness. So we're today the bracket has been revealed. So yeah. we're finishing up all the tournaments and full disclosure on um, the Georgetown Hoyas. Um, they ran the table and they won the Big East tournament. But um, before they won the tournament, um, Patrick Ewing, I think this was after his, his team's victory um, over, I think, Villanova, I believe. Yep, um, 72-71. And then um, afterwards, here's his quote um, at the post-game press conference. Um, and, it's, and the tournament takes place in Madison Square Garden, by the way, the Big East tournament. Um, quote, I do want to say one thing, though. I thought this was my building. And I feel terrible that I'm getting stopped, accosted, people asking for passes. Everyone in this building should know who the hell I am and getting stopped. I can't move around 
this building. I was like, what the hell is this Madison Square Garden? And it says it's unclear um, who exactly stopped Ewing, um, what was the Pacific incident. And so I think for outsiders, you know, you might say, like, this guy is arrogant. Like, what is this guy's deal? Is he think he's, like, god of basketball? But I think you have to understand New York basketball. Patrick Ewing is an icon in that city. And I think it's one of those things. I'm curious to see if it was a young person, if it was, like, in, you know, what, who stopped him? Because I can see it. Maybe a younger person may not knowing who he, who he is. I mean, Patrick Ewing, you brought it up when you um, – Talked to Paul Nepper, right, um, about the Knicks in the 90s. And just Patrick Ewing was a quiet figure. I mean, he mm-hmm. wasn't a, you know, a boisterous um, player in the league in terms of fanfare. I mean, I remember in the 90s, really, in terms of pure popularity, it was Jordan, Rodman. I'm trying to think who else was really, I would say Carl Malone, Barkley. I mean, there are several players in terms of just I was star power and not star power, but just Overall popularity, players are sticking in your mind when you're growing up. And Patrick Ewing is kind of lower on that list. I mean, you have to be somewhat of a basketball head to know the significance of this guy from just Georgetown and, and him in the Big East tournaments to him as a New York Nick. So I can see, a, and a, you know, I don't know the scenario. I have no clue what happened. But if it was a young person, I could see them being, who is this guy? You need your pass. What's going on here? What I don't understand is, you know, as security, you're, I mean – you should know that he's the coach of Georgetown. I mean, I, I don't know. It's just one of those things that security, like you should have some basic knowledge and it's not a good look for Madison Square Garden. Who's had issues with Charles Oakley? Who's had issues with Spike Lee? I mean, if this was just like one isolated incident, I'm like, uh, one person, whatever, who cares? But this is a pattern of behavior. So this is something in which reflects badly on MSG and, and kind of reflects badly on the Knicks. The Knicks are having an awesome year. I mean, there's a nice resurgence for them. I mean, I'm actually happy, even though, I mean, the Bulls are a rival of theirs. But honestly, it's one of those scenarios where if the Knicks are doing well, if they're relevant, it helps the rest of the league. But instead, we're talking about this. Well, what's your opinion on the situation? Yeah, yeah. Uh, more drama with, with New York, right? Um, look, I, I think... There's a couple things here. Like, for, first off, Patrick Ewing's comments, in my opinion, are are very presumptive. Um, like saying, "Isn't this my building?" Yes, he is. For for you and my generation, or for our generation, we're the same generation. <laughs> he is the face of the Knicks. That I, I would say the most consistent face of the Knicks that we have ever known. Um, no doubt, he's an icon in New York. But I also think when you're managing a building and, and look, I'm just going to try and be as cold and objective as I can uh, as possible in this. And I don't think people are going to like this take, but whatever, I'm going to roll with it anyway. And if we can argue about it or whatever, but look, um, Patrick Ewing is, is easy to distinguish if you know the Knicks, if you know your basketball players, buildings, especially world famous buildings like the Madison square garden, they have security protocols they need to follow. And I know this sounds ridiculous, but there's definitely someone else in the world somewhere. Maybe it's just one other person. Maybe it's a few people who could pass for Patrick Ewing. You have to have security ID to get into these uh, locker room areas to get in. This is for the safety of other coaches. This is for the safety of other players. It's, it's a collective thing. So I, I get 
Patrick Ewing feeling insulted by this. Players at his level, multiple-time All-Stars like him, faces of franchises like this, they are used to star treatment. They're used to kind of this, this like elite class of human being type of treatment. But this, I think from a practical stance, I'm siding with Madison Square Garden a little bit. Now you're right. There have been instances like the Charles Oakley thing especially seemed pretty messed up. Spike Lee has been a loyal courtside ticket holder there. And I know he's had scuffles with James Dolan and and Madison Square Garden staff there. So I I think people are right to question this. Now at at the other end of things, I mean, I've worked jobs before where I've worked with people for years and I still have to show them my ID um, just to, just to be able to do my job and stuff. Even though like this person knows my first middle last name, this person knows my birthday, et cetera. Um, sometimes they're just security protocols you have to follow. So I think the compromise is as this elite player, as this icon of New York, you are given these clearances. He probably could get this type of clearance, this backstage clearance to like any concert he wants at Madison Square Garden. He probably just needs to give the call, even under James Dolan. I think he could score that. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't I don't know exactly the inner workings. Um, so I, I think he gets the privilege as a New York Knicks legend of having that access. But I think to um to use that access, I think it's perfectly reasonable to expect ID. And maybe I'm out of line here with my take. Please let me know if I am. Um, but you know, I, I think the whole thing is unfortunate. And I think it's easy to bash James Dolan because we all know, and I will agree with this. Paul Nepper, who I interviewed, as you mentioned, will agree with this. I mean, he is an incompetent owner at best. So, so there's definitely already history there, and it's it's easy to lean into that. But I don't know. I, long story short, I, I don't think it's unreasonable to expect someone to clip an ID onto their jacket or shirt. I don't know. Yeah, I I, I think one thing too to give the security the benefit of the doubt is you know, what if Patrick Ewing is wearing a mask? I mean, that's another thing too, right? There you go. That, yeah, that's 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 a significant thing in which you may not know who he is if he's wearing a mask. Great point. So it's probably pretty strict in there for an yeah. NCAA event. And it's New York; they have tighter COVID protocols too. Yeah. So great point. I so again, I want to know the situation in which what transpired because if this security person is like, hey, I, if he's wearing a mask. I don't know who this guy is. He's wearing Georgetown. So what? I need to check his credential. That that makes sense. Then I'm I'm with you, Matt. Like, hey, you know, they're they're trying to do their jobs. At the same time, I don't know. It's like you kind of bend the rules for star people. I, I get what you mean, Matt. I understand. But I think in this instance, when it's a sports venue, when again, if this security staff knew it was Patrick Ewing, kind of have to let him pass. Patrick Ewing. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's. I mean, it's just. It's. It's. This is not some like Georgetown secure. Some Georgetown assistant coach. Or I mean, it's Patrick Ewing. I mean, it's just he just he gets, he gets an exception with this. Um, now, the, the breaking of the rules only has a certain, I guess, line that he can cross. So if he forgot his mask, if he's endangering the health of others, then of course not. Um, but I think. In this instance, and in where he maybe just forgot his credential or something, he's trying to get through, and that staff says, "I know you're Patrick Ewing, but you need to you need to have this credential." It's like, 
come on, you know this guy's Patrick Ewing. Just let the guy pass. Just or, or at least give him, hey, like, you know. And, and, and again, we just don't know the situation because people, right. gets, people get sensitive too. So it could have been a situation where this guy's like, hey, like, hey, man, I know you're – you know, an icon in his building, but next time just have the badge on for security purposes. And maybe he just got offended by that. We don't know. Right. So right. I think at least we know the situation. It's kind of hard to judge. Yeah. Um, I, I'll i lean kind of towards Patrick Ewing on this. I'm not saying what you're, what you're explaining is wrong, Matt. Not at all. Sure, um, sure. I... I just would like to know what exactly was the incident. And honestly, with him, what I don't appreciate is him not elaborating on what was the Pacific incident because I just see this clip. I looked everywhere on Twitter. I keep seeing the same clip over and over again. So I just wish he, and if he elaborated on it, please put the, the video clip on, on the bottom of the comments, please correct us. But, um, I didn't see anything in him describing the entire incident from start to finish. And if you're going to bring that up, I think you need to describe exactly what happened in full context. And, and hopefully that's happening behind the scenes because yeah. you know the the other thing that goes through my mind as as you're making your point and and i agree um with what you said there um but also like i thank goodness you know he didn't mention a security guard by name or sure. like something like that that's put true. someone on blast that way because you know you're you're bashing a guy who's making you know maybe just above minimum wage and likely is is just following orders from the top yeah. so if you've got a feud with james dolan like if he's got the rules set for the building like clearance and that's it like you show your credentials or you're not getting through then that's his rule and this guy's just carrying out the rule i kind of i don't blame him this guy probably just wants to keep his job you know um but you know you're right and, and then you can have that argument over like, well, James Dolan, really? I mean, you know me well. I'm Patrick Ewing. Like, really? You, you, you're you not going to let me um, go through. We know each other on a personal level. You know, hopefully um, the way it was handled, and again, one of the problems, as you mentioned, is we, we just don't know. But hopefully the way it was handled was that there's there's this argument here, this back and forth, and then maybe the security guard calls his supervisor or, you know, yeah. calls the level above him. And then they give the go ahead. I have, you know, and we just don't know. Um, but yeah, you're right. I, I would like to know more. I would like more clarity, especially since you pointed out at the very beginning. I mean, th this is a multiple time um, negative press generator for the yeah. Knicks and for Madison Square Garden in general. So, so there is some sort of history here. Um, it seems like you know the rowdiest of the situations was that Charles Oakley incident, which, which was really unfortunate. Um, you know, and, and we just don't know how similar this was to that. If, if there was truly like disrespect or just a misunderstanding, you know, we, we just don't know. Yeah, that's true. I just wish we just know this full situation so we they can, you know, have an opinion one way or another. This is hard to say, but anyways, congratulations to Georgetown for winning the Big East tournament. That's awesome. Um, they're in the big dance, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how the tournament plays out. I mean, this tournament's happening. Um, hell or high water. <laughs> um, it, whether there's, you know, if the half the field gets taken out because of COVID, the tournament's still going down. So um, I don't know if you heard, but all of the games will be played inside Indianapolis, and I think six sites. So mm -hmm. I think that's going to be uh, pretty pretty neat to see um, just a tournament playing out in one state instead of all over the nation. I think it's going to be a pretty unique experience. 
going down. Yeah, you know, I'm super happy for the kids getting to show off their skills, getting yeah. to maybe increase their draft profile for the NBA, something that we didn't get last year, unfortunately, because as everyone knows of, of the way things have been. Um, so I, I'm just glad they get to showcase that. Hopefully we don't get too many hopefully we get no games postponed or canceled uh, so that they can compete and uh just have have a fair fun competition exactly um i think that's gonna wrap up our show man there should be anything else you want to add before we uh say goodbye no man i i think we're good um thank you for for that interview with ryan o'leary and uh you guys stay tuned to all our social media our youtube uh to stay in the loop with our content because as justin alluded to earlier we are going to have a lot of it that we're pushing your way and it's going to be great content yeah we're going to be uh pretty busy bringing you interviews spanning a variety of subjects again um i don't like to spoil things but um it's pretty relevant content and and um, pretty informative interviews from a lot of influential um, journalists and um, other people making some noise in the basketball world. So uh, stay tuned for that. Um, as always, um, as Matt said, stay in touch with us through social media. Um, we're available on all your podcasting platforms. Um, please leave us a review on iTunes and send us an email, hoopsologypod at gmail.com. If you have any questions, um, positive, negative feedback, we'll take it all. Um, so for Matt Thomas, I am Justin Goodjum. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. Peace. Thanks for listening to the show. As always, you can get in touch with the podcast through email with hoopsologypod at gmail.com. Also, we are on all social media platforms. Please leave us a review on iTunes and check out our YouTube channel. See you next week.